Hi, everyone. Welcome. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Sarah Unju, and I have a wonderfully packed show for you today. <laughs> um, so today is... Today we have two reviews on an interview, and even though that might not seem like a lot, there's a lot of content there <laughs> in reality. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to start off with Lua's review of The Invisible um, being presented by The Colch, and then we're going to go into our add-in PSA break. Afterwards, I have my interview with Greta de Leon, who is a co-creator of the new exhibition called Chican X. Um, oh God, what's the full name? <laughs> so Chican X, um, Dreamers and Changemakers. Uh, and then we talk about that. Um, she has co-created Chican X alongside with Jill Baird. And then uh, we're going to also go into an Adam PSA break. And after that, I have my review of Body Traffic. So Body Traffic is a dance company from the U.S., I believe, Los Angeles. Let me double check that and get back to you really quick. And they presented a mixed repertoire here in Vancouver on May 5th and 6th. Um, they were hosted by by Dance House, and I checked, and yes, Body Traffic is indeed based in Los Angeles. It was wonderful. They uh, performed four pieces. It was like um, just close to two hours. It was 100 minutes, and all four of them were actually quite different. They were all a lot of fun. I'm going to be talking about all of them. But before all of that, we are going to go into our, um, well, I say our, but Lua's review of the Invisible. <laughs> Enjoy. Hey, everyone. This is Lua Preziju. And last week, I had the privilege of watching The Invisible, Agents of Ungentlemanly Warfare. And this is a show done in collaboration with The Cult and Catalyst Theater, but the showing of the play was actually at the York Theater, so if you do have a chance of ever going to the York Theater, it's the lovely theater. Um, do check it out. The culture does have a lot of plays happening around there. Uh, back to The Invisible. Uh, this play has actually already won three Betty Mitchell Awards, one for Outstanding New Play, one for Costume Design, and one for Lighting Design, and after watching the play, I can definitely see why. Uh, it's an incredibly deserving awards, and it has actually been nominated for another seven awards, which is really impressive. But honestly, uh, yes, the lighting is great. The costuming is great. But I think it's so cool that this is actually a musical. And I get it. There are a lot of people that don't like musicals. Totally fair. There are a lot of bad musicals out there. But this is one of the really good ones. And yes, I do say this from a place of a lot of love for musicals. However, my partner who also watched this show and absolutely hates musicals, does not see the point in them at all, loved The Invisible because it is a very unique approach to a story and the music is part of it, but it's not the only thing that tells the story. And I think the unique approach and mixing mediums uh, because the lighting also plays a component in telling the story. The music plays a component in telling the story. The staging plays a component in telling the story. Mixing all these little different elements to it creates this full, um, really full-bodied experience, which I thought was just really cool. But before I delve into this play, uh, I want to give a little bit more context. So this is a piece of historical fiction. And it's based off happenings in World War II. Specifically, it is based off this secret department created um, what I believe is just the UK during the, uh, again, during World War II, where the UK would deploy secret agents in guerrilla warfare tactics within Nazi-occupied territories. So essentially what would happen is um, 
certain soldiers would be trained in these tactics. They would be deployed secretly, again, very undercover stuff, into Nazi-occupied territories, very dangerous missions. And when there, their roles were to basically um, destroy places where ammunition were, or perhaps train routes, or even start trying to um, create a grassroots movement. And uh, like I said, this was entirely secret. Uh, it occurred a little bit outside of the scope of even parliament um, because war has rules and guerrilla warfare tactics are not within those rules of gentlemanly warfare, which is why this, this department or the agents that were part of it were nicknames the agents of ungentlemanly warfare. However, uh, this name actually has double meaning because not only were they employing guerrilla warfare tactics, they're also employing women who are technically, you know, ungentlemanly, quote unquote. This was essentially the only way that women would be in the front lines of war, helping outside of, you know, as soldiers outside of like nursing, nurses and whatnot. And so the invisible takes on this premise, takes on the existence of this apartment, the existence of these women, and creates a full women team within the this the secret department. And that's the story that we learn. We through the invisible, and they're called the invisible because women in this time were essentially uh, invisible in the sense that they were they could transit during these areas a lot more freely and a lot more easily than men could because seeing a man walk around a city where all the men had been deployed to war would be a lot more suspicious than seeing a woman when essentially almost only all women around. The invisible takes on this premise, uh, takes on this historical fact, and creates this team of all women. Now, we don't actually know if this team of all women actually existed, if there was a team of all women, but this is the kind of story that it doesn't actually matter if it happened exactly like this or not, because the truth is that those individual stories, the individual stories of the women that we meet and learn and fall in love with during this play, existed in one way or another, in the sense that perhaps it wasn't the exact story in the exact line, in the exact way that we are presented it, in the play, but the idea that there are women that were employed or there were women out there that lived through similar circumstances, or it's, you know, the combination of multiple women's stories into ones and condensed into these characters. And in that sense, these stories are true and these stories are real. And we know that they existed and that they happened for at least someone out there. And so what the invisible does, the, what the invisible, uh, what the story is actually about is it's a very slow buildup of the actual team. Uh, almost all of act one is just understanding what this department is, how did they get permission to have women in, how did the training go, how did the selection go, and we are introduced to these characters. Uh, who are they? And why what are their motivations to want to be part of these dangerous missions and from there we learn that they are very successful very successful and then the climax or like the, the tipping point of the story really becomes when they are enlisted to go on to one final mission and this is obviously a very dangerous mission and they risk their lives and we are there with them for every minute of it and it's gut-wrenching and I cried multiple times, my partner cried a few times learning about their stories and seeing to a certain extent what happened or at least in this version of story of the story, right? Like in, 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 in this fictitious approach. They defy expectations, they achieve the impossible, and they go completely unseen. And I think that's one of the takeaways, is that part of the reason that these this play is being created and being put on, and the reason it's being so successful, is that we're finally hearing a story that has been 
invisible that has been destroyed that has been purposefully buried um at the time for their protection but now because we don't necessarily want to remember some of these histories and so i do want to give praise to a number of things um part of the unique approach of the invisible is that it combines musical theater with a film noir slash graphic novel approach where the lighting is just an incredible way of storytelling the stage itself is fairly bare but um different projections help in telling the story and telling the campground and like creating the campground and whatnot um there are no men this play is entirely um there are only seven actresses and so although there are some male characters the way that these male characters are introduced is really interesting to me because it's through voice modulations and um, a shift in lighting. So whenever there is a male character, the the their voices are modulated in a way that is like distorted, and it feels almost like this Big Brother voice. And to me, it gave me this impression of like, well, yeah, like this is a world of men built by men but these women continue to thrive and continue to defy expectations in it this is an incredibly compelling story because of its storytelling approach where it just really wraps you in and at first it just slowly guides you into the story kind of explaining and setting the tone but once you're kind of set with those expectations it's really just pulling Uh, in a way that it's just like okay what happens next what happens next and I think that's part of the reason that it's so powerful because we are not used to seeing women in the these like war soldier roles where we are rooting for them to survive we're rooting for them to be smarter and be better and achieve these battle goals and here are a few things that I thought were really, really cool about The Invisible that I cannot praise enough. So one of those things um, for me that really stood out to me is that this is a truly diverse cast. Um, it's a ca- Not only is it a truly diverse cast, but it's a truly diverse story. It's purposefully diverse. Uh, it tells a story of a Muslim woman, a single mother, a Black woman who's an actress, uh, a Cree woman who was in a residential school and went to the AK to help fight in the war, um, a disabled woman or a woman who lost one of her legs uh, in an accident and still wanted to fight in the war. And I just think that when I was watching this play, I was like, oh, see, like it's not, it's not that hard. Like, why don't we see more of this everywhere? And honestly, to me, having a disabled woman being part of the show where her disability isn't part of the plot, where her disability is just something that is, is just part of who she is as a person. And it's not like, you know, it's it's a plot point. It's not a plot point. It's just who she is. And I think that that's just so... It's, it's, it's kind of the moment of like, oh, finally. Like, it shouldn't be this hard to see disability being represented, true uh, true diversity being represented, and yet it is so hard to find. It is so difficult to find disabled people in theater where their disability just is. It just is. It's not part of the plot. It's not there to further a point. It just exists. You know, disabled people have should be able to exist like that um yeah so i think that that was really cool that's one really cool aspect of the story for sure um another one was i've already mentioned this but the lighting uh i had a full argument with my partner about the lighting because at one point uh a lot of the stage or at least the size of the stage in the back of the stage is created with this type of mesh where a, the lighting shines through and on its side so it creates really interesting shadowing effects and at one point all the women go behind this mesh so we can really only see their silhouette illuminated by the light 
And I had a full argument with my partner where he was like, no, like it's being illuminated from the bottom and we're seeing the mesh and their reflection on it. And I'm like, no, no way. It's a projection. They did this like on After Effects or something and it's a projection. I was wrong. He was right. It's just a really incredible effect that I had never seen done before. And I thought it was just fascinating. And so here are some things that, or at least exactly one thing that I thought could be improved on. In musical theater, it's really difficult to find actors and actresses that are true triple threats, that they sing and dance and act all equally well. And it's just difficult to find, you know, like these are very unique, different talents and a lot of people aren't usually trained in all three. Usually you have people that are trained really well in two. And because I do have a dance background, it was very obvious to me, especially because there is no ensemble. There's only seven people on stage max at any given point in the story. Uh, there's It's a very obvious that none of these people are dancers. And honestly, like that isn't necessarily a hindrance in of itself. It's fine to not have dancers. I wasn't just impressed by the choreography. I thought it was slightly repetitive. At certain points, I knew exactly what was coming. And again, there's nothing wrong with repeating choreo, repeating certain movements for certain things, but it just felt like a little bit too much to the point that I was like, oh, you're making this easy because they can't dance. Um, or at least like simplifying things because there's already an overexertion in so many other ways. And Fair, fair, you know, like all these women are singing their hearts out while acting, while dancing. It's a lot. Musical theater is a lot and it's not for everyone. But um, that is just one aspect, one area that I would have expected a little bit more. Uh, I did think the choreo was a little too simplified. And uh, one other aspect of it that I was just a little confused is that there is a prologue in, uh, of the story where they introduced this Romanian folktale, which I was already previously familiar with, but maybe I'm just, I just didn't get it. I just didn't get why that was introduced. It did come around in the end again and kind of like created this idea of like, well, it's a man's world and we got to look out for ourselves kind of thing, but it was just a little, a little loose for me. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> love it uh the choreo for me for that part was particularly weak as well uh so those were just two moments that i was like ah, eh, you know whatever but um other than that this play was just truly incredible and to have a play of this caliber um of this type of production value and in with only a cast of seven people is really stretching them thin and I think they became incredible representations of these larger stories that we know that happened but again have been silenced um so I think the big takeaway for the invisible is that it's not just telling the story of women who are invisible but it's also a lot more nuanced in the choices in what stories are being portrayed and I think that's where the uniqueness of storytelling comes from and part of the reason that this show has been praised um and has won certain awards because it's absolutely deserving i think that these are the types of stories that we should be telling more of um yeah we just need to i i just want to hear more from these types of stories because these are the stories i haven't heard and it's the stories that we need we need to be hearing from. It's the story of women. It's the story of POCs. It's the story of those that were left behind and not accounted for. You know, like when I think about um, stories of war, I usually also think about Lizzo's like um, "Truth Hurts" with like men. Why men great when only when they gotta be great? And it's like, yeah, well, we will only really hear about stories of men because we had this idea of grandeur from them but what about these silenced stories like these are they're grand but they're grand in a very subdued small way um that isn't about we saved the world but no like they they did one thing one thing that was so important in allowing everything else to happen um but the praise isn't there 
right? And so, yeah, I, I adore this play. I think it was incredible. It was a great musical, a great approach to a musical. Uh, again, where the music is part of the story, it's not the entire story. And if you do get a chance to watch it sometime soon, please do. Unfortunately, The Invisible has run its course or has ended. Its last night has already finished. But uh, keep an eye out for the coach and keep an eye out for this play in the future. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that and have a lovely, lovely day, everyone. Bye-bye. A Tribe Called Red is the hallucination with their new record, one more Saturday night, featuring Javier Mighty, Tanya Tagak, and more out now. About 40% of UBC students experience food insecurity. Sprouts is hosting a weekly produce market from 10.30 to 1.30 every Monday in the Life Building. With produce from local farms, students are free to take whatever they want. Sprouts Cafe is open from Monday to Thursday and is offering 30 free meals a day, completely free and no questions asked. They also host Community Eats, a completely free hot lunch that is open for all. Stop by and support the Sprouts cause for sustainable, accessible food at UBC. Hello, welcome Hi. back. I have Ruby with me in the studio now. Hey, welcome, hey, Ruby. Hey. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed that review that I did. Lua did. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> and now we're going to go on to my interview with Greta de Leon. As I said, she is the co-creator alongside Jill Baird of the upcoming uh, exhibition at the Museum of Anthropology. The exhibition is called Chican X, Dreamers and Changemakers, or Soñadores y Creadores del Cambio. It's going on from May 12th, which is tomorrow, Thursday, until January 1st. So you have a long time to see it. And in this interview, hopefully you'll get some idea of oh, what it's about, what you can expect, and so much more. But yeah, um, enjoy. We'll be back after the Adam PSA post-interview. So see you then. Hi, everyone. Nice. <laughs> today I have Greta de Leon with me today to talk about uh, Chicanex, Dreamers and Changemakers, also Soñadores and Creadores del Cambio. The, oh, I hope that was good enough. <laughs> um, that was good. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really happy we get to talk about this before the show opens on May 12th, which is just in a couple of days. Um, would you like to start off by introducing yourself and also the exhibition for us? Yes, for sure. Thank you, Sarah. It's, it's great to be here and, and I'm really looking forward to meeting you and, and to welcome everybody to see the show. I am Greta Leon, I'm the executive director of the Americas Research Network which is a consortium of universities and museums, and MOA is a member. And I'm also a co-curator of this exhibit that opens here in MOA, um, Chicanex, Dreamers and Changemakers, or Soñadores y Creadores del Cambio, as you rightly said. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's great to be here. So yeah. the exhibit, I, uh, yeah, the exhibit is, um, is an art exhibit mainly painting, print, some sculpture, um, on-site installation about the artist um, featuring the art of the Chicano movement. And the Chicano movement is a very important component of the civil rights movement in the US. Though the Chicanos are uh, Mexican-American origin, mm -hmm. Mexican-American descent, but they self-identify as Chicano, uh, Chicana or Chicanex. And that's it's a call of activism it's a commitment to the community it's 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 an involvement it's a very active political involvement for for equal rights mm -hmm. and so for this exhibition did you kind of have in mind about um you know this exhibition being about 
Hi everyone. <laughs> today I have Greta de Leon with me today to talk about uh, Chicanx dreamers and change makers. Also, soñadores and creadores del cambio. The, oh, I hope that was good enough. <laughs> um, good. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really happy we get to talk about this before the show opens on May 12th, which is just in a couple of days. Um, would you like to start off by introducing yourself and also the exhibition for us? Yes, for sure. Thank you, Sarah. It's, it's great to be here and, and I'm really looking forward to meeting you and, and to welcome everybody to see the show. I am Greta Leon. I'm the executive director of the Americas Research Network, which is a consortium of universities and museums, and MOA is a member. And I'm also a co-curator of this exhibit that opens here in MOA, um, Chicanex Dreamers and Changemakers, or Soñadores y Creadores del Cambio, as you rightly said. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's great to be here. So yeah. the exhibit, I, uh, yeah, the exhibit is, um, it's an art exhibit, mainly painting, print, some sculpture, um, on-site installation about the artist um, featuring the art of the Chicano movement. And the Chicano movement is a very important component of the civil rights movement in the US. Though the Chicanos are uh, Mexican-American origin, mm -hmm. Mexican-American descent, but they self-identify as Chicano, uh, Chicana or Chicanex. And that's it's a call of activism it's a commitment to the community it's 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 an involvement it's a very active political involvement for for equal rights mm -hmm. and so for this exhibition did you kind of have in mind about um you know this exhibition being about the this movement or because this is co-curated with uh Jill Jill Baird, right? Yeah. So of Moa. With Jill Baird, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So or did you two kind of um create this together? How did it all work out? Well, it was it was very interesting. It was the, the brainchild of former director Anthony Shelton. So it was one of the last exhibitions he is he scheduled in, in Moa. It it's been delayed for two years because of COVID, mm -hmm. obviously, yeah. like everything else. Um and it it was to be focused on on the Chicano, on mm -hmm. the Chicano art, and the way we work together is we visited a lot of the artists, we visited the studio, um, and then when the pandemic hit, it just everything stopped, and we had to be visiting and talking with everybody by Zoom. So it was incredibly difficult and complicated to assemble an exhibit like this with with it's about thirty three artists. Uh, mm -hmm. All over, no, all over the states. So it, it was, it was an intense, an intense three years of, of working and planning, scheduling, rescheduling, changing, and and it, it, yeah, it, it was a labor of love. Um, oh wow, yeah, that's a long time to work on something. <laughs> well, actually, it's it's kind of normal, but but it is it, it's been a lot um, mm -hmm. of work, and and it shows. I mean, the show is is really beautiful. It's is, is really nice to work with the people in the museum. They're very enthusiastic about it. The design of the show is gorgeous. The colors in the walls, you have a little peek. It's kind of yes. really vibrant. <laughs> and we try to use a lot of the words from, from Chicano activists and poets and even the artists themselves to guide mm -hmm. you in the exhibit, to accompany you in the text, to, to, to give you all this context, but with their own words. We're not we, we are just showcasing them. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so if uh, someone who has never heard of um, Chicano comes in um, to this exhibition, they will still be able to, you know, learn about what it is and have some context to it. Yes, yes, there, mm -hmm. there will be. It's not a, 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 a literally educational experience. It's an art exhibition. Yeah. Um, but they will have they will have the framework uh, and the understanding. And um, and for us, um, it was very important to yeah portray that the Chicano is important part of the civil rights movement. That a lot of the Chicano artists. This is the first time there's a Chicano ex a, an exhibit about Chicano art in mm -hmm. Canada of this magnitude. So to, to be able to bring all these works has been 
has been exciting. And there will be a lot of, I think, pieces of work that will create very interesting connections with the audience in Vancouver. And people will understand about the Chicano, will also relate to them because Chicanos also have a lot of their roots as in indigenous communities. So you have that perspective as well. Also of all the, the labor and the camp workers, like all the, the agricultural workers, the mm -hmm. same. So you also have that, 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 that segue here. Mm -hmm. And so this is the world premiere of uh, yes. Chicanes. <laughs> yeah. And is there any specific reason why the world premiere is happening in the Museum of Anthropology here in Vancouver? Because you mentioned that the 33 artists are from the States. Yes. This, yeah. this Well, it, it is um, it is the world premiere of Chicanex. It is the first time that an exhibit of this magnitude is, is, is happening in, in Canada. Um, and, and MOA has a very long-standing tradition of creating really interesting and, and, and connected content. It is an anthropology museum, but also has a really heavy weight into the arts. So, mm -hmm. so it, it, it's a perfect space. And the, the people that work in MOA have the perfect vision to kind of blend these two things together. So mm -hmm. that, that was... I think we were very lucky and it was a match made in heaven. And you have a Mexican national curator with a Canadian curator curating art from the United States. So it's yeah. also an interesting, very interesting perspectives happening there. Yeah, it definitely is. And um, so you are based in Mexico City, right? I am based in Mexico City and Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. I have a very okay. long commute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So will you be around uh, after you're done installing the exhibition? Will you be able to do curating tours or anything like that during the run of the exhibition? Yeah, we're actually going to have a couple of activities this week. Uh, we have the opening on Thursday. There's going to be the, a lot of the artists are coming from, from California and from mm -hmm. Texas and, and, and Colorado, and I'm sorry, Arizona, um, are coming to the opening. So we have like eight artists present. We, there's going to be this roundtable on, on Saturday with them and a tour. So I will be, I will be here okay. and, uh, and participating. Yeah, I'm, I'm it's, it's a really nice show. There's also a digital catalog. I, I, I wanted to, to tell you about that because it's, it's an important part of it. And the digital catalog tries to also complement um, the cultural traditions of the Chicano. So we have music, we have cuisine. There's actually a couple of really good recipes of how to make mole uh, mm. from one. Yeah, so, so <laughs> there will be recipes, at, at essays about literature and film and cuisine and music will be soon. And, so, so it's, we will try to just give you a little taste of all this incredibly rich culture, right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the digital uh, portion too. Um, so in your previous work, is this typical for exhibitions to have this um, extra digital space where you can get m more from the artists and more information uh, or if it is not that typical, do you think you would be wanting to incorporate this in future projects? I think so. I think it's it's very important to be able to use to use the tools we have right now. And I know that when I'm I'm going to museums, I'm always see the people, and I'm always also like checking out my cell phone. So mm -hmm. throughout the gallery space, you will have QR codes mm -hmm. that you can scan, and you can get more information about the piece or about the artists, about their taste. You can download their playlist of the music that they hear, that even the artists hear, listen to or like. Uh, so, so those kinds of more interactive and more getting to know the people from the show on to and to realize how enormously diverse they are. You have very, very different people from very, very different ages and, 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 and stages in their lives. So you have very young artists in their 20s and you have really established artists in their 70s. So the whole range is, is, is really cool to, yeah. to see and to get to know. <laughs> That's amazing. And talking about how big of a range there is between the artists, they're very different, you know, um, artists, how did the, how was the process of finding these artists and finding their work? 
uh, did you reach out to them? Did you have an open call where they submitted their work to you? How was that kind of? Would you like? Well, to I'm, I'm I'm really happy that you asked that because that's a, that's that was an interesting part of the process. So when we started doing these trips to San Antonio, to Texas and San Antonio and and, and California mm -hmm. uh, before COVID hit. Um, we started meeting with a whole bunch of artists of Mexican-American origin. And the mm -hmm. first question we did, Joe and I, when we were visiting, if, if, if they themselves self-identify as Chicano, mm -hmm. because it is, it is, it is a self-identification personality and persona and, and, and addition. Um, so if they didn't, then they, we, we will not consider their work for the show. But mm -hmm. when they said they did and, and, and we started seeing their work and we wanted pieces that, that could explain this, this context. We, we organized exhibits a, a little bit around this, these themes of borderlands, mm -hmm. um, identity, activism, home, and neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So these are more or less kind of like the, the, the themes around the exhibition and we, we the, all of the pieces had like obviously activism component to it, but there were some that they were feeding more into this, into this, into this like nucleus or, or theme, thematical areas. Um, and that's, 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 that's how the whole process started. It was like a, by a questioning the artists, asking the artists if they were Chicano and, and starting the conversation there. So. So the activism part is a very important part of the exhibit. Yeah. How long did it take you to find the 33 artists? Oh, wow. Yeah, long. <laughs> <laughs> we had so many wish lists. There were some pieces that we couldn't have. There were other pieces that uh, just didn't, didn't, didn't work out. But, but basically, I think we, we do have our wish list. Like all mm -hmm. of the pieces that we wanted for the show are in the show, and mm -hmm. and that's yeah, and it looks it looks really really nice. It's a very nice, rounded, um, enjoyable experience, and the works speaks from themselves. There are some works that are very strong. There are some other works that are more humoristic. There are some that are mm -hmm. satirical. There are some that are just mesmerizing. Um, well, all of them are mesmerizing, but um, you. You'll see it. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, for context, I will be seeing it on Thursday, May 12th, and very happy about it. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to, you know, tell the audience, um, like, if they should have a thought when they're going into this exhibition, going into this experience, what would that one thought be? Like, keep this in mind, or when they're leaving, be like, pay attention to this. <laughs> well, I think I think to keep in mind that Chicanos and artists are this group of artists are incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. So you will you you will see and you will feel that diversity, that there are people that have struggled. Uh, their whole life uh, mm -hmm. in search of maintaining their rights and their identity and their and their language that they have been um, artists that have fought for 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 rights for liberties and and I think that is kind of very well represented in their work mm -hmm. and that and that and, and you I think you will find some connections I think I think Vancouver rights will find connections in the works and they will see some resemblances and 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 some shared issues and shared, shared concerns mm -hmm. and my last question to you is during this whole process you mentioned that it's been like three years um do you, is there something that you think Oh, well, that was not a good way to pose the question. Um, <laughs> do you think you gained anything from this process, whether it be a thought or a general, you know, like a point of view or something that uh, you didn't have going into this? Well, it has been it has been a privilege to be mm -hmm. able to to do this show and to be able to showcase the work of this artist. Um, it has been also really 
delightful and, and fun to work with my co-curator Jill. She's she's absolutely fantastic and, and it was really interesting and, and really fun the way we both responded to the art at the mm -hmm. same time we got really excited about the same pieces and things like that. So it was it was it was just um a really amazing process. I think one of the things that got me really excited is to see how vital the movement is now. Mm -hmm. How the Chicano movement is still very relevant, that people self-identify a lot like it, and they are producing incredible work. Um, you will see some of the of the uh, the Chicano uh, murals screening that we have entering the gallery, and it's kind of really incredible to see all over the the, the country the enormous and the and the vast creation of all these of, of these artists. Um, so that that was kind of very, very exciting. The diversity of themselves, that was also really, really great. How the movement changed, because mm -hmm. in the 70s, when this movement was kind of like in the speak, it was very, very uh, male. I mean, there were a lot of women always, but now I feel that the women are kind of like spear pointing the movement mm -hmm. like more. Um, and, and also queer rep representatives of the LGBTQ plus uh, um, movement, so that that was kind of really exciting to to see as mm -hmm. well, and 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 that that makes me happy. We're gonna have this big opening party that I hope uh, you can invite all your audience to <laughs> yeah. on the twelfth at starting at six p. I think seven p. Seven p.m. is the remarks. I think, but the museum will be open starting from five. The exhibit will be open at five. There will be mm -hmm. food trucks. There will be drinks for sale. There's going to be fantastic art, probably a performance piece. So wonderful, it's worth watching. Yes, definitely. Everyone, go. <laughs> you said May twelfth at um, seven p.m. Seven p.m. I think. Yes. Okay. Seven p.m. are the remarks. So yeah, at Moa. Wonderful. And the exhibition is running until January 1st, so you have a long time to see it. Um, is there anything you would like to mention before we go? Well, no, I just wanted to thank you and, and, and I hope that the, the, the community in Vancouver enjoys the show and visits the show and all of the enormous amounts of events and activities that are happening around. There's going to be workshops. There's a magazine or scene creation workshop on Sunday. There will mm -hmm. be tours, not your average tour with scholars and people talking about the exhibit and, and giving their own tour. So those kinds of, 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 of programming, I, I hope. Uh, they enjoy it and, and they'll, yeah. they'll participate. Thank you, Sarah. I hope so too. No, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It was wonderful. The 21st edition of Docs, a documentary film festival returns May 5th to 15th, 2022. Committed to cultivating curiosity and critical thought, Doxa will present both short and feature films from across Canada and the globe representing some of the best in documentary cinema. The hybrid in-person online festival will include both live and pre-recorded conversations with filmmakers, as well as some industry-specific events. Visit doxafestival.ca for more details. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it, and we'll give you half of your money back, as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us, minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Hello, welcome back everyone. Um, thank you for still 
if you're still here thank you for being here <laughs> because <laughs> we have my review now yes um, but before the review ruby do you also would like to mention the doxa documentary festival i would so the doxa documentary film festival is happening may 5th to 15th um, in theaters, it's playing at SFU Gold Corp Center, the VIF Center, the Cinematheque, and the Playhouse, and it's also playing online. Um, general admission in-person tickets are $15. <laughs> dollars, not euros, dollars. dollars. <laughs> and um, student, senior, and low-income person tickets are $13. Uh, you can buy tickets at the website, www.doxafestival.com ca www.doxafestival.ca um, or the festival box office support at doxafestival.ca support at doxafestival.ca wonderful thank you no problem and with that we're on to my review of body traffic's um mm, dance mm, show mm. so body traffic is a dance company based in los angeles and they were hosted by dance house here in vancouver on may 5th and 6th um i was able to attend on may 5th which i was very happy about so they did a mixed repertoire they showcased four of their most celebrated works so those were bay and asa's the one to stay with um matthew neenan's a million voices alejandro cerudo's paco pa- <laughs> paco pepe pluto and Paco Pepe Pluto. Paco Pepe Pluto. <laughs> oh my God, it's such a great name. <laughs> um, and Michaela Taylor's Snap. So they all were quite different from each other. So the one to stay with was, I believe, done as a response to the going on opioid crisis and the, you know, how the 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 big people the ones with the money who can help do nothing about it <laughs> the big people the big people the big yeah. people with the money <laughs> exactly um the second one paco pepe pluto was paco pepe pluto <laughs> yeah, paco pepe pluto um so that one oh god so i'm trying so in our performance they switched the the first performance and the second performance. So I'm not really sure which one came first. So I can't, I remember what I saw. Like the first one um, was the opioid crisis one. The second one, I believe, was the one that was inspired by um, the music of Peggy Lee. So that one was A Million Voices. The music was really nice. Mm-hmm. It was very jazzy. and mm-hmm. <laughs> I love jazz. Some people hate jazz. Yeah, I love no, jazz. jazz is, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, Snap was inspired by the ethnically diverse yet isolating crowds of, Lo- crowds of Los Angeles. It urges audiences to snap out of social pressure to conform and to connect with their individuality as well as with people around them. So that was the third one I saw. And then the last one I saw was um, Paco Pepe Pluto. And I believe Paco Pepe Pepe Pluto. Pluto. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't help myself. (laughs) That one was really interesting because it was basically um, three male dancers doing solos. And I'm assuming the costuming department was really happy about it because they were only doing dancers belts which if you don't know for male dancers the dance dancer belts is like a a thong that keeps their <laughs> genitals in place while they're dancing right and, and for the listener sarah is a dancer she's been dancing for her whole life so a long time yeah <laughs> so like it's funny i was like that you're considering oh the costume designers must have been really happy <laughs> i'm like my mind would literally never go there i would never think about about the costume designers level of stress and of course you have probably worked with so many yeah. so you're like oh my god i'm so glad for them that they only had to put on yeah with they, underwear for well, the guy. all they needed to do was take off their costumes from the previous right. performance and they were ready to go on right. and it was really amazing because um, you were able to see, you know, like dancers have a lot of, um, like dancers are very muscular. They're very strong people, uh, but you don't really realize it either because mm-hmm. of the costumes or you're not like close enough to see like the 
individual muscles being used right but with this because they were basically wearing nothing you were able to see everything and it was so mm. wonderful you, they were using muscles you wouldn't think that pe- so people can use like like what <laughs> like for example like the hip flexors you're like oh like that's like mm. you know why would i ever how would i ever use that oh my god i have such <laughs> sore hip flexors <laughs> so i'm impressed by people's hip flexor flexibility yeah it was wonderful oh, and then so i went with another correspondent of ours silvana she said her favorite one was the The second one that we saw, A Million um, Voices. I'm going to double check that name again. That one was the, um, yeah, A Million Voices. The one inspired by um, Peggy Lee's music. And it was so interesting because the first one had such a, like, a, a heavy slash important theme. And after that, the second performance was like, huh, we're having fun. <laughs> and then the third performance was also really fun. And then the fourth one, you were just amazed by the dancer's yeah. ability. It mm. was like a little bit of everything, honestly. <laughs> and it was wonderful. I My best friend lives in Los Angeles. And all I wanted to do during the performance, but of course I didn't do because it's, it's rude to look at your phones during a performance, guys. All I wanted to do was just <laughs> message her and be like, hey, there's Aww. a dance company based in los angeles called body traffic you have to go check them out see everything that they do and then tell me about it they're amazing and i'm so glad that dance house was able to bring them in for the for these performances and i really hope that they come back because it was such a wonderful experience Mm -hmm. and as much as i love everything that like everyone that dance house brings in it's always a shame that the performance dates are so low because they're visiting, right? They're not based in here. So they only performed for two nights. Right, because they're touring. Yeah, exactly. I really I really hope they come back again. I would say definitely check out Body Traffic. That's one word. and Spelled exactly like both those words are yes. supposed to be spelled. <laughs> exactly. And um, the next show for any of our <laughs> Vancouver listeners, if you happen to be in Beckett, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. Then you can go see Body Traffic at Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. No. When people say thank you for that, it's never... <laughs> No, I meant it. I meant it in a positive Thank way. You. Yeah. Okay, then I'll take it sincerely. Yeah. You're welcome for that. It was, yeah. And um, that's it for our show today. Unfortunately, we need to hop out. I'm attending a concert. I have a long way to go. Oh my god, what concert? So it's so a local band I like is opening for another group. Let's, so let's give them a plug. They're what called, are their names? They're called Far Haven. They're dope people. Far Haven. Yeah, that sounds awesome. They're playing at the Fox Cabaret. Going with my friend. It's going to be amazing but yeah that's that's all for today do you have anything else to add ruby before we go um i would just like to say have a great wednesday yeah it's yes, wednesday. Have wednesday, a, wednesday yes have a great wednesday and tomorrow's thursday and and have a great thursday wonderful to everyone to everyone and that's all from from us from us yeah Have a lovely day. Have a lovely day. All right. Hi, I'm Sukyun Lee. And you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM, yeah, in Vancouver.
himself. He's got a bag of his own. Clean King the complex with envy. For reasons B, I'm not believing what you're telling me. See, telling me that I should follow like the rest of them be. I'm like, boom, bye, bye to them sucker MCs. Don't try a far cry from the wise guys who move in the skies. We come alive when the sun rises. Baptize microphones with some ill lines. Do it by design around the way I bring that sunshine. Solar controller meant to move from through a part time. Hard times like institution trying to get mine. My restitution is the true school of do rhymes. Due time, stars align, we the right find. One of a kind, I'm undefined, so I'm unsigned. Channel that energy to better me a steep climb. Suited up and in the game until the right signs. Yo, I got one foot in it. Next foot trying to survive this life living. Dedicated to the fathers and the sons. Mothers and the daughters who support until it's one. I know it's real and it's feel that you want. Realize the sacrifice to get what you want. One minute we in yeah. the next uh -huh. we out. Trying to figure really what it's all hey, about. Born Gemini, my daughter, she breathing her first breath. Yeah, later right behind her, she taking her first steps. Man, it's a trip, no jets, whole tap. You can hear the stories, but nothing could ever prep. I'm a rep to the fullest, no other way I can put it. You get out what you put in, so jewels. It's what I'm pushing, put the best fourth foot in the door. Thought we couldn't before, we was just feeling the core. We could never ignore that raw feeling when you realize the reason for existing with a meaning. So we assemble a team and us superhuman beings. Realize the dreaming. It takes a village for billing, that's what we need. And like a baker, not a needle, still we trying to get the dough. Make time for the family and time for the flow. Time for the nine to five, time for me to go. Organize, no surprise, where I'm needed a soul. I got one foot in it. Next foot trying to survive this life living. Dedicated to the fathers and the sons. Mothers and the daughters who support until it's one. I know it's real and it's feel that you want. Realize the sacrifice to get what you want. One minute we in it, the next we out. Trying to figure really what it's all about. I got one foot in it. Next foot trying to survive this life, 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 life. This is Colin from GBH and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver and that's Canada boys. CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded territory of the Musqueam people at UBC. My name is Ali Mary, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Gurman Gill. Each week on Research Review, we interview a researcher who is affiliated with the UBC community and discuss some of their latest work and findings and how they relate to broader issues in society. Welcome to Research Review today. Uh, we're welcoming Dr. Mark McLaughlin to Research Review on CITR 101.9 FM. Dr. McLaughlin is a professor in UBC's Department of Chemistry, uh, specializing in materials chemistry. 